It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. And welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia coming at you guys. Nikolai, it was a win for you this week. And, you know, in the other weeks, Nick, I've talked about how you won by like half a point, how you win by a tiebreaker. You barely scraped through. This time, Nick, you earned it. You, you whooped my ass. Props to you, my friend. That was impressive. Three to two against one to four. And even though you still made a lot of really smart calls, like the Josh Parisi and you expected to show up, Showed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a great pick on my part, too. Parker Porter had his way. I don't know that I've ever seen someone look so tired after the first round and just dreading that he had two more rounds to fight. But, yeah, overall, man, hey, it's it's the art of the pick, and there's a little bit of luck in there. But as we spoke during the week, I've had a remarkable amount of success picking women's fights. And I guess you have. But... And I'm not saying that's necessarily about my amazing insight or how much attention I pay to those particular divisions. But I do think that it's possible that there's, and I don't want to give away a strategy here, because it, ha- it hasn't been a cognizant strate- strategy. Strategy, Jesus. I, <laughs> um, I think there's more parity among the men and that the odds sometimes in the women's fights are closer than they, than they should be. Um, I don't know. But... Regardless of what the reason is, I've had a lot of luck, whether picking dogs or favorites or whatever, um, on women's fights. So good for that. Because they those two, those two, picking Norma Dumont uh, over Ashley Evan Smith, not knowing about Ashley Evan Smith's alleged injury, uh, which came out after the fight that she hadn't really been able to train. Yep. Um, and just you know, putting a lot of faith in, in Gina Mazzani at a uh, at a different weight class. Um, Plus Rachel Ostevich's last couple performances and how she could be overrated based on her Instagram account, uh, yeah, paid off. So sixteen and fourteen. It's it's possible that after what was largely a runaway first half of the year, slowly and surely I am nipping at your heels. But the only real chance I have is to win this coming weekend, which is a very difficult card to pick, and take the pay per view the following. Uh, the following weekend. I mean, maybe I've got three left, but I really have to. I really have to sweep. I could maybe get a draw and then end up with a tie, which will be not very rewarding for anyone. Um, so yeah, well, you're 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 definitely nipping at my heels. You are now just a couple of wins away, Nick, from taking the entire season. And I mean, I, I think I won the first two or three seasons of this podcast, and this one, Nick, is getting horribly close. You're 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 having me sweating up here. This and yeah, you are quickly catching this up. This I like what I'm the, saying, Nick. This is the second season. <laughs> well, no, uh, we we did restart the count the several year. times. It's the uh, second we, year, yeah. We restarted the count several times, which is why I refer to them as seasons rather than years. Uh, and so, like every time we restarted, I was ahead, c- kind of at the end there. And then what we changed to our draft pick system was the last time we restarted. And uh, again, I was leading for a good while there by a good margin, Nick, and you have slowly, slowly crept up. And now we're within three. I have 16 event wins to your 13. We have a bunch of draws, seven or eight of draws mixed in there. And Nikolai, again, you're getting close. And all I'm hoping for is that we don't get any like cards with eight or nine women's fights because then I have no shot. Did we, did we reset our records when we changed to the draft mode? 
Uh, yeah, we did. I was, uh, I think I was ahead by a good margin and we were looking to kind of mix it up and, uh, Nikolai, it worked because damn, is this close three oh, I, events I got, apart. You got way ahead. And then I caught up once we switched the method, but I could be misremembering. Anyway, let's talk about, we, we definitely restarted because okay. if, if you do the math, there weren't only like 25 events this year. There, there was probably more than double, uh, a good chance there was double, uh, that number of events, even yeah, with COVID, We've okay. picked 30 plus eight draws. We've picked 38 cards according to this. So that's probably missing. It's probably missing like 12 cards, which, yeah, which yeah. is really one. You were up like nine and three or something at that point. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But again, we re- did restart before this uh, draft system that we kind yeah, of implemented. Yeah, that's, that's and dude, you caught the holy heck up. I'm sweating, Nikolai. I am. I, I've, I've got to get my shit together. I've got to pick up this win, Nick. I've got to secure my victory. Otherwise, this is going to be the biggest comeback in MMA Geeks podcast history. Are you uh, you're sweating like Spike Carlisle when he realizes he's in the second yes. round? Okay. <laughs> I'm sweating uh, like Spike Carlisle, who to, who usually takes an early lead and then like has nothing left after six minutes. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sweating kind of like Spike. Yeah, Nick. The the confidence is suffering. The lungs are struggling. The heart is racing, Nikolai. But I'm going to pull this through. I think I have it. I think I have what it takes, I, Nick. Hey, man. I don't want a participation trophy, though. I am. I am proud of some of that. My picking's gotten stronger, but I still think I've got a long, I've got a long way to go. Uh, by the way, I saw that those young Canadian brothers who were so charming on Fight Night picks got sponsored by Manscaped. Yeah, it seems like anybody that's willing to get sponsored by Manscaped at this point will get sponsored by Manscaped. Yeah, all the uh, rest it, of the podcasts I listen to are sponsored by Manscaped. They got a lot of money to throw around with their ball trimmers. Yeah, apparently either that or they have a lot of ball trimmers to throw around, Nick. And and I, I, there's a good chance that some of these uh, some of these guys are like, yeah, just send me a free product. Uh, no, but they, they really are sponsoring every side of MMA. So, They're so old. I don't care. I just let my junk look like Rip Van Winkle. I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you you and I have only one partner apiece, so it makes sense that uh, you know we we're less uh, we're less tending to that area. We don't have like any last minute opportunities that we need to take advantage of, Nick. That's that part of our lives is gone. You say it with such a sad tone. Uh, Nick, Anthony Smith got a first-round submission over Devin Clark. And Devin Clark, who planned to pressure, apparently his mother-in-law passed just literally a week before the fight. And he was contemplating pulling out. Ended up staying in. Ended up becoming the main event. It turned into a five-rounder. Not that that really mattered. He jumped right into Anthony Smith's uh, triangle choke and did everything wrong to defend it, Nick. Um, obviously he knew that pressure was going to be the way to beat him. Getting on top was going to be a good segue for him since that's what worked Anthony Smith in his last two bouts. And Nick, it wasn't to be because Devin Clark was, is just too eager. He was too foolish. Um, I, I don't know how much the death in his family kind of affected him as well, but Anthony Smith, I think you and I picked Devin Clark in this one, mostly because we assumed not that Devin Clark is a much better, more skilled fighter, but that Anthony Smith is just in a really terrible mental and physical place, uh, coming off of two just beatings, uh, at the hands of Glover Teixeira and Alexander Rakic. And man, he came in here and all he needed was Devin Clark to jump right into his guard. Uh, there, there's something to the technique, Nick, of when you get caught in a triangle, you kind of want to bring your hips not away from the arm that's caught within the triangle, but toward that arm. And that gives you the biggest chance of creating space between your own shoulder and your neck, 
which is part of what allows the triangle choke to, to finish you. And Devin Clark literally did the opposite. He brought his hits, hips in the opposite direction, which only made his own shoulder choke his, himself all the more. And uh, naturally, Anthony Smith was going to take that uh, easy victory that Devin Clark handed him. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not that interested in what these guys do next, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, with you. Neither of these guys are, you know, future top eight or top ten uh, hopefully at light heavyweight. I mean, light heavyweight sucks overall, but I hope that with this new influx of high-level prospects at this division that we don't have to talk about uh, these guys at the top anymore. Yeah, has Smith fought Ozdemir yet? Uh, yeah, he did. He had a comeback submission win over him, but I wouldn't mind seeing that rematch. Huh. I think it makes sense right now. Yeah. he might. Ozdemir might be booked. I can't remember. But uh, I would, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see that. Listen, the uh, the co-main event was was worth it because, listen, I don't know how far Miguel Baeza um, is going to go, and Takashi Sato is always is going to be, I think, a top rounding out the top twenty um, action fighter. Like you're gonna, you're not, you're gonna put him on cards, and it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be boring, which is great. Yep. Uh, and he still only has four losses in his career, uh, but Miguel Baeza is a real um, is a real prospect at, at one seventy. Like, you know, I look at him, though, and I'm like, you know, do I want to see him against Leon Edwards, you know, eventually? Yes, that sounds really exciting to me. But I certainly worry about um, what's, you know, is there any way that he that is his, what, how's his ceiling going to be when you consider the just the, the murderous murderers row of of grappling aficionados at the top of this division right now? with Burns, Covington, Usman, like, does his skill set, um, you know, is he going to maybe, does he have the potential to crack the top eight or maybe even the top five or six and then just run into a brick wall? Like, what do you think this guy's ceiling is? I think on paper, he's got all the potential between his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And I'm not saying he's like an elite black belt like Jacare was in his prime, but he seems pretty solid, and this is really the first opportunity we had to see him on the ground because the kid prefers to strike. I mean, he's in his 20s. He's already got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's very sharp standing, right? And and so, look, I think the potential is there. MMA Masters is a better team than I gave them credit for. I talked about how uh, he likes to throw that calf kick, Baeza does, and against the southpaw, that right calf kick is going to run right into your opponent's shin. So I didn't think that that was a good option for him at all. And I didn't give Hiff's camp enough credit to realize that. And they switched his game plan from all calf kick to all body kicks. And that worked really, really well, right? His, his jab was less landable against the southpaw. And he didn't focus so much on his jab as he normally does. But see, one of the keys with throwing your right uh, body kick against the left-handed opponent is that your right body kick hits your opponent's left hand, right? Which is uh, which happens to be his opponent's big power punch. Uh, Takashi Sato has knocked out a few people with a straight left. And the thing is that if you keep kicking to the body with your right leg against the southpaw, that left arm that they have th- that's their main power punch that happens to be their only defense. So they kind of have to keep it holstered. And that worked brilliantly for Miguel Maeza. So really solid job by the MMA Masters guys. I heard them in the corner multiple times between Colby Covington and Miguel Baeza's fights. And I've come to the conclusion that they don't sound that bright. They don't sound like they really, truly know what's going on. They give, you know, kind of overarching advice like, you know, keep your hands up and, and be smart and, you know, take them down. There's no, like, intricate technical advice from what I've seen. And the game plan here was clearly 
uh, meticulously put together, and I have to give them credit for it. They they did a really good job. Sato is not very durable, and that's really the main reason that I still went with Miguel Maeza. I think kid's super, super talented, and the fact that he has serious power in his right hand, and Sato does not have the best chin were kind of the main reasons why I ended up picking Baeza, even though there were multiple weapons of his, his that he usually uses that were not usable here. And the black belt, of course, was a factor. We just didn't get much of a chance to see it. Uh, I think Baeza is going to enter the top 10 sooner or later. He has championship material, but you're right, in this extremely, extremely rough division. It's hard to tell, man. The kid could get clipped by uh, by somebody like Joff Neal, right, who's extremely fast, who could just clip you with a quick left hand. He could potentially, potentially get outcrafted by Bala Muhammad. I think Robbie Lawler, Anthony Pettis are good fights for him, especially now that the UFC is probably looking at him as a serious prospect. I think Vincenzo uh, Luque would be super exciting. Both are kind of those yeah, South, uh, South Florida teams. That. The real, um, the fight to give him right now actually if you if you want to talk straight up gatekeeper and not kill another prospect, Tim Means coming off that Mike Perry fight, that's not a bad idea. Um, otherwise, you got you got the winner of Bilal Muhammad Diego Lima, which is going to be Bilal Muhammad. Or if you really want to roll the dice, in January we've got Muslim Salikov taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio, and him fighting the winner of that fight, is, you know, for for a spot in the top fifteen. Um, I think is is very intriguing. Yeah, I would be very much into that. Uh, I I don't know about here. Here's the thing. I, I think Tim Means is 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 kind of a gatekeeper. I feel like Miguel Baez is probably past that. And if the UFC wants to put him in fun fights, then yeah, there are some options. Uh, some of the people that you mentioned, Vincente Luque, would be another extremely fun fight. I tend to think they're going to give him kind of. If they do give him the slow roll, Tim Means might be a good option, even though there's some danger there, because Tim Means is unranked, but very, very crafty, very good, very fast. Um, so, look, I'd be excited to see him face any of the top 20, but I think Robbie Lawler would be the ideal yeah. fight. I think the UFC likes to match up those old veterans with young prospects who have serious potential, and I think that might be a great fight for him. Robbie Lawler seems uh, seems to be largely undangerous at this point in his career. He's not really willing to throw. He kind of backs himself up against the cage and, and lets somebody look good against him. So I think Baeza could benefit off of a name like that. But yeah, look, there, there's a murderer's road. There's basically a minefield at 170. And I would love to see Baeza kind of navigate his way through that. I'm, I'm excited to see this prospect, man. I, I really do think he has some serious potential. And if you put his overall skill and talent level in several other divisions outside of 170, 155, and 145, uh, maybe 135 is a phenomenal division too. Outside of those, man, if you put him in, in any of those divisions, he's likely going to get a title shot within a couple of years. Uh, it's just, you know, 170 is is a rough one. 170 has um, got, I mean, you look at this top 30, even top 40, and there are, uh, you know, not a lot of guys you can say, you know, you can say bad shit about. Like there, It is a no. deep, deep division. Yeah, I think the only concerning thing we've seen with Baez is that he can get hurt like he did against Matt Brown. And Matt Brown isn't exactly someone who's been looking phenomenal lately. So yeah, he's got there's, a, there's a way in there. I mean, like Matt Brown can still throw. Power's the last yeah. thing to go. True, but you would hope that Baeza would have the defense. And granted, by the way, he didn't take a prospect loss. He came back and looked really good uh, and finished Matt Brown. It's just concerning that a guy who already retired, who, you know, yeah, he, he can crack people, but he doesn't usually do it until they're tired, right? He doesn't often knock people out. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Uh, it's been a while since I've seen Matt Brown compete regularly and win, but he doesn't tend to crack people in the first few moments. He tends to overwhelm you with pressure over the course of a fight, and he did crack Baeza early. So again, with the chin, there may be a way in there. Maybe it's the harder hitters in the division that are the biggest kind of danger to him. That's why I mentioned Joff Neal. I can see Vincente Luque giving him some serious trouble. Um, uh, but I, you know what? I Damian Maya matchup. Like I know Damian Maya is really good and that's risky, but I think at this point with Baez also being a black belt, would he have enough defense, uh, especially in a five rounder? And I think that would be his best kind of best case scenario to face Maya. Would he not have the grappling defense to avoid getting submitted? I think he likely would. And then would he have enough time standing up so he can do damage maybe from top position where I think he could still score uh, again, very interested, very intrigued by with one of the best and Colby Covington. That's one matchup that we're not going to see in the near future. But yeah, very much excited for Miguel Baeza. Uh, so if you had the, your druthers, Nick, who's your one pick for him? Is it Tim Means to fight next? Oh boy, my druthers. Um, if I had my druthers, and I'm, and I'm, uh, I actually think that the winner of Salakov, uh, Ponsonibio, would be the most exciting. Either that or so, Balma. Okay. If Bilal Muhammad does what we think he's going to do and defeats Diego Lima with relative ease. Yeah, I think Bilal does make a lot of sense. He's They're a crafty, kind of high-level gatekeeper. Yeah. If they both win their fights, well, Salikov wins his fight, which is a big fucking, you know, if. And if, Muhammad, if Muhammad wins his fight, which is less of an if, those are two guys on four-fight win streaks. Yeah, I'm there with you. That, that's a, that's video, it's just, he's just been gone for a while, but he's... I got, you know, that's a, I mean, talk about fights I'm excited about in January. Salakao Ponzinibbio is an, is an MMA fan's dream. Yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. Ponzinibbio is super exciting. I'm glad to see him back, and I hope that he comes back in full form. Uh, Parker Porter looked really good against Josh Parisian after a competitive first round that I still honestly thought Parker Porter edged. I know he got buzzed for just a moment there. Um, I just, I really thought that Josh Parisian's largely overrated. The majority of the people that he's beaten have horrible, horrible records and he does have a couple of wins there where, you know, he caught a spinning back fist early in a fight in on a contender series bout. Um, he has a lot of will, right? He has a lot of heart, but he's not particularly talented. He doesn't hit hard for heavyweight um, and he doesn't have the greatest gas tank. And I and I kind of saw that leading up to this. I thought the odds were completely ridiculous. And that's why I uh, recommended an investment in Parker Porter. I think a lot of people were biased because of the contender series success of Parisian, coupled with the fact that Parker Porter came in and got knocked out in the first round against a serious prospect in yeah, against Gawkin, and right? Chris Dukas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who was really, yeah, who's really real good. And, and Parisian also like took the I can't I don't remember exactly the strike count, but he he kind of took the 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 Ben Rothwell approach to Nick Diaz in the first round. And I'm like, this guy's yeah. tired. Yeah. No, yeah. No joke. He, he, he really did. He had body like that and weight like that and like that much size and yeah. Throw, you know, whatever he threw like 90 strikes, 115 attempted strikes in the first round. Nick, I didn't even realize it was that high. That's a really good catch on your part. And that does explain why he was tired. But I think a lot of that is because Parker Porter put the pressure on and was putting him in a position where he had no choice but to either counter or kind of wilt if he wasn't going to get a takedown. And yeah, the the strike count definitely, uh, definitely fell off big time in the second and third rounds. In the second round, both guys threw about half or less than they threw in the first. And then in that third round, Parker Porter somehow still threw 90 strikes. I mean, look, the guy's like, to me, he's 
pretty fairly impressive. I think getting caught by Kyle Dukas after a very close first few minutes of a fight is not that much to be ashamed of as we're seeing his career play out. But really good on Parker Porter. I think Josh Parisian is going to be either even or an underdog in his next bout against uh, someone like Marcin Tabura. Uh, anybody in mind for Parker Porter, Nick? Obviously not top 10 material Ooh. necessarily yet. Um I mean, it, it's heavyweight. These are low-level guys if they're outside of the top 15. So I guess uh, I guess we could just kind of see him play out. Uh, I, I don't know that he's ready for that top. Say it again. Gano needs a fight. Um, oh, for, shit. Come on, Nikolai. You're mean. Isn't Gano scheduled? Winner, why, don't, why don't we do something really wild and say the winner of this weekend's Gian Vellante, Jake Collier fight? Oh, man. That, that is a gift for Parker Porter. I think it's more likely that they'll feed him to somebody like Gon, but I, I would be into that. I think, like, I'm, I'm enjoying Parker Porter. I like his personality. I like his look. I like his story. Yeah, you know, Hart- fuck. I was like, sorry. He's a Connecticut boy training out of West oh. Hart. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, which, which I know is, uh, is is close to your heart, and uh, and yeah, Nick, uh, I'm, 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 New Haven. I don't give a shit. Then it might as well be Matt. <laughs> fair I'm, I'm a Fairfield County motherfucker. Fair Straight enough, up Greenwich, Mean Street Posse. Oh man, look at you go, Nick. You you wanna you wanna throw some shout outs out there for from the kids uh, from the neighborhood growing up? Uh, I'm I'm actually referring to the to the '90s WWE stable with with Pete Gas, Rodney, and Joey Abs, who who were Shane McMahon's. That uh, is very funny. Yeah, I haven't heard those his, names his in a while. Best stable, but that's all. That's a whole other podcast. All right. Um, <laughs> Bill Elgio uh, came out and looked really good against Spike Carlisle. He's a guy that pre UFC didn't look all that awesome, but really putting it together in his UFC career, really kind of stepping up as I think his first kid was born in the last year or so. And, you know, I'm sure there's a new motivation for Algio, and he looked good here, man. His takedown defense held up. His kicking game looked good, and he was able to put it on Spike Carlisle with the uh, much better conditioning. Yeah, it was close, though. Like, Carlisle had that bulldog choke, um, <coughs> but did not did not work out for him. Um, you know, he'll be an action fighter that's around, and Algio is a, a tenacious dude. Um, yep. Norma Dumont. Dumont. You totally called this one. Ashley Evans-Smith. Um, she came in overweight by like not a small margin, so that's not cool. Um, oh, I don't know if I realized that, Nick. I think she came in like she came in like one thirty nine. Great, let's have her fight somebody at one forty five. Let's have her feast it to Amanda Nunes within a couple of fights. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize she missed weight by that by that margin, but yeah, Ashley Evans Smith. Every time she got hit, she acted as if like she like why would you hit me? Like why can't we be friends? I I don't understand. And clearly she was not, you know, ready to be there. Um, I think there was a story about Ashley Evans Smith, uh, something like six or seven months ago, like her and her boyfriend, apparently, uh, on Craigslist got some free furniture from someone. And on the way out, there was a box of medical supplies, uh, you know, PPE and that sort of thing for, uh, for, because of COVID that I guess the owner of this home was collecting to deliver to the local hospital. And apparently Ashley Evans Smith and her boyfriend stole that shit, Nikolai. Uh, so I, I don't mind seeing a potentially terrible person lose. I'm, I'm comfortable I, with that. I don't even understand that story, but I'll be Googling it later. Um, we have yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Pierce. This is one of the fights that you were very confident about that didn't yes. work so well. One of your early picks, um, Jonathan Pierce, uh, grounded pound, uh, TKO'd Kai Kamaka the third. Um, great. I mean, action fight, right? 
Uh, yeah, really, really good fight. It's Kai Kamaka took this fight on short notice. He looked really good early. Uh, he was doing what I think everyone expected him to do early, but then his conditioning just wasn't going to keep up with Jonathan Pierce, who had to cut down for the first time to 145 in his career, which means he was in phenomenal shape, and he looked good, man. He looked tall for the division. He looked uh, like about what we expected going into his UFC debut, where he got demolished by Joe Lazon, of all people. Uh, really, really nice victory for him, and again, drawing Kai Kamaka on short notice is his best-case scenario, and that worked out really really well nick there were a bunch like i think every every major underdog uh won in this in this event except for the one between sue Maderji and malcolm gordon sue Maderji just kind of smoked them in the first round gina mazani put it on ostovich we already kind of went over that and then nate manis man luke sanders as usual he's the better athlete he potentially has the takedown advantage but he's going to do the stupid thing and get knocked out as he did he kept his head in the center line and got clipped and then got finished on the ground by nate manis uh definitely a bunch of upsets man like there, yeah. this was this was definitely a night of and uh, upsets Santos, that was another fight that cost you that yes. you picked Anderson Dos Santos yeah, right. cracked, got cracked a bit, but had the slick jits. And yeah, he really did. The choke and ended Martin's day. Talk about crafty veteran, and I, I think it's time to give up on Martin Day as even like a promising fighter. I don't know if it's just nothing being on the high stage. Ended Martin's day. You didn't. You didn't. Nothing. No love for that. Fine. That was incredibly clever, but I actually missed it, and maybe it's better that I did, Nick. I don't know if it was worth bringing up. I'm just I, saying. <laughs> just hurt my heart. Nick, 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 it was a cute joke. I like it. I'm still bitter about your win over me. Let's take a break, come back, and break down the upcoming fight night card for these folks, Nick, where we have Hermanson going up against Marvin Vittori. This is an interesting middleweight matchup, and we're going to break it all down for you guys in a moment. Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, and we're going to break down UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Vittori. An interesting matchup between Hermanson, who's kind of already had the very high level of competition, already kind of reached the top or near the top of that middleweight division, and Marvin Vittori, who's steadily on the climb, hasn't really gotten that huge signature victory just yet. He had a close fight with Israel Adesanya, which is probably the biggest thing that he's known for, fighting the crafty submission artist in Jack Hermanson. This should be interesting, man. I think, especially as a five-rounder with Vittori coming in on relatively short notice, uh, switching from the three-round fight that he was going to have the following week, Nick. He had to kind of pull back his training cap a little bit. This should be interesting. I'm excited for him, man. I believe you have the first pick this time. 16 of my event wins to 13 of yours, Nick. You get 14, three. 14 of mine. Oh, you're right. We're within two, Nick. I don't like that one bit. Uh, Nikolai, uh, as everyone knows, we uh, do this in a draft style. We each take turns picking fighters that are competing on the card. And at the end of Saturday night, whichever of us has the most number of picked winning fighters ends up winning the week. Nikolai, you have the first pick, buddy. God, there's a lot of potential first picks here, and I certainly hope I don't uh, I don't pick the wrong one. But I've got to – it's staring me in the face. i got to go with the Monkey King Jordan Levitt coming off a Contender Series victory um, to defeat Matt Wyman. Uh, I just think Wyman's looked really, really bad uh, since since this since this comeback. Uh, you know, ten years ago, he was certainly an, an exciting, uh, you know, an, an exciting above average lightweight. And I just don't think he's got anything left in the tank. And I think Levitt's got a good submission game. And I just don't see. Uh, yeah, I just I just think Wyman is a step behind athletically. 
Um, and he's kind of he's aged out of this level of competition. Yeah, Wyman used to be good and is now kind of a shadow of his younger self. He can survive against solid prospects, though, since his submission defense and heart kind of remained intact, even though it seems like every other aspect of his skill is gone. Levitt is not very athletic or strong. He's not a very good striker or a very good wrestler, but he is confident and kind of a crafty submission grappler. Even though I think Wyman can win this one, it's tough to pick him after seeing him get dominated twice after his two-year layoff. I'm picking uh, Levitt, but not with much confidence since he's not nearly the prospect or athlete that Wyman's prior two opponents are. I and mean, if you look at Wyman's other, you know, other opposition, these are good wrestlers, really strong, powerful, athletic guys. Uh, that doesn't describe this man, and those are guys, by the way, with decent stand-up too. So I do see some risk here, but I'm on the same page with you on the pick. My first pick is going to be in the Mofsar, Evloev, and Nate Landwehr matchup. I think there's different reasons to be a fan of both of these guys. Evloev is a super prospect, great wrestling and developing boxing game with really fast hands. He's kind of a mini Khabib. I've talked about how, um, uh, was it uh, Romanov, uh, who's kind of like the, the giant Khabib? Mofsar yeah. Evloev is the closest to the mini one. He's got those that fast jab, those fast fans, high MMA IQ, and he's generally risk averse. He's relentless with his wrestling. When he decides that he wants to take down, he shoots and reshoots and reshoots, doesn't let you go. Only 26 years old, and he trains with one of the better teams in Tiger Muay Thai, uh, undefeated at either 12 or 13 and 0 in this point. Um, Landwehr is a wild man just about every way. He's an exciting offensive striker with very high output, averaging seven strikes landed per minute. But he actually takes as many strikes as he lands. One and one in his UFC career after a loss to Herbert Burns and an exciting decision win over the gritty Darren Elkins. I think Landwehr is going to need that will that he's known for in this fight. Um, his takedown defense is listed at 85% of the UFC so far, but Evrov is a serious grappler. He's more technical standing, so I'm not worried about his chances on the feet either. Uh, but he should have his way as he sticks to Nate Landwehr against the cage or on the ground for a clear-cut decision win here. Yep, I've got a, I've got Evrov also, um, but I but it could get interesting because Landwehr yes, is a wild. Can, definitely. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, listen. This is not a fight anyone's excited to see, but I think Jan Vellante should have enough to take out Jake Collier, the former middleweight who really bulked up and looked not very good in his uh, in his last heavyweight fight. I mean, Vellante didn't look great either, but he looked better than Collier, so I think that Vellante should be able to win um, either a quick finish or a horrendous decision. Yeah, I'm there with you. Both of these men lack the discipline to fight in their ideal weight classes. Both lack the speed and skill to be a top 20 fighter. I'll pick Volante to hurt Collier since he's been training with Weidman leading up to this one. But if Collier shows up like 20 pounds below that 265-pound... So, uh, apparently Chris Weidman flew out to New York, and I don't know if it was for Weidman's sake or for uh, Volante's sake, but apparently they've been doing some training leading up to this one. So presumably Volante you know, will have a little bit of conditioning and maybe some heart in this one, hopefully. Um... But if Collier shows up like 20 pounds below that 265-pound weight limit that he weighed in that last time, I might just change my pick. I think there's a few fights that will be decided kind of at the weigh-in uh, in this card, or you know, you can kind of get a pretty good gleam on what might happen, and this is one of them. Uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think Volante you know, is, is the better mediocre fighter here, I guess. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the Ilir Tapuria and Damon Jackson matchup. Um, this one is interesting for a lot of reasons. I think that Jackson looked really good in his UFC debut, right? It's not that he looked good skill-wise. It's not that he outcrafted his opponent, but he survived some really rough moments. 
Tapuria showed in his last minute USC debut against Yusuf Zalal that he might just be a future champion at 145. He's heavy-handed, technical boxing mixed with a pressure grappling game. Um, it's tough to compete with, I think, for most guys. In my opinion, he's one of the two or three brightest prospects coming out of Georgia, and that's saying something given uh, you know, uh, some of the Jika Chikadze and, uh, and Devashvili. Damon Jackson was also able to pick up a win in a short-notice UFC debut against Mirsad Bektik. He was yeah. dominated until Bektik pulled the Mirsad and got finished in the third round via submission. I think it's a clear-cut Taporia win, but we shouldn't sleep on Damon Jackson. He's got a super impressive record considering his lack of athleticism, so uh, I, I, I I just think uh, Taporia is something special. I think you're probably right, but I smell upset here. I slept on Jackson in the last fight. And I would actually argue that, I mean, yes, Beckett got takedowns, but Damon Jackson was like never ran out of gas and was fighting, like was throwing submissions at him and looking for finishes the entire fight. Um, And he was a he's really savvy positionally. And I, I would not be surprised if we get another flash submission here. Yeah, that would be interesting, and it would be a super impressive win for Damon Jackson over a guy who's really looked at as a as a top level prospect yeah, in Taporia. Taporia, and I, I I I get that, and I'm not making this pick, but like I'm wait so wait 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 who who do you think will win this fight, Nikolai? I know it doesn't count for the draft, but who do you think will win the fight? I I smell an upset, so I think they, I think I mean I think it's a I think Tapuria is most likely to win the fight, but I don't. But I suspect that what's most likely to happen isn't going to happen. I hear that. What's your next pick, buddy? Uh, my next pick is I'm going to go with uh, it's Talia Santos. Yes. Yes. I'm going to go with Talia Santos over Montana De La Rosa. I know Santos hasn't been uh, remarkable in the UFC, and but I just don't see a lot of urgency. Uh, from Montana De La Rosa, she, I got I get the sense that she's like a gym fighter. Um, she just looks a little deer in the headlights in her fights, and anybody who approaches her um, with aggression, I feel like uh, can take can take the fight. And I think that Santos kind of is going to have the game plan um, to put her on the defensive and and win a decision. Yeah, uh, the thing about Santos is Nick that before her contender series debut. Her 14 opponents before that, their combined records was seven wins and 11 losses. So again, between 14 opponents, Nick, they had yep. a total of seven wins. Nine of her, nine of those uh, 14 opponents did not have a single win on their record. So she was a can crusher in Brazil on the kind of regional scene. And so it's you know hard to gauge how good she really is. But she came in and you know we had a semi-competitive fight with a girl that that De La Rosa actually uh, beat and dominated, and then. Ooh. You know, shellacked Molly, uh, Molly McCann, basically dominated her. This fight largely depends on if Montana can get consistent takedowns. Santos is more athletic and stronger, but Montana should be the better wrestler since she's a three-time All-American. Because Montana took this fight on two weeks' notice, she uh, replaced Marion Marina Moroz, and she didn't pressure consistently enough against the very high-level Viviana Rujo. I'm picking Talia Santos, who has a solid gas tank and full training camp behind her. But Santos might just get pressured and not wrestled. Uh, we're going to know, I think, where Santos is in the pecking order after this one. I just feel like De La Rosa didn't do enough to pressure in her last fight against a much faster, higher-level opponent, granted. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm edging ever so slightly with you, mostly because of the short-notice situation here. Um, my next pick is going to be in the OSP-Jamal Hill matchup. 
Obviously, we all know Vince St. Peru is a gritty veteran. He's got these weird submissions from weird positions. He tends to beat the prospects that aren't quite ready for this league and tends to lose to the gritty veterans who kind of have all their shit together. Hill is undefeated in eight fights, but is mature for having such very limited experience. 3-0 under the UFC banner, if we count his contender series bout. He has KO power, as he showed over Klitz and Abreu. Actually, he got the knockout, and then it was overturned because of a marijuana failure. Can we stop with that shit, please? Tall southpaw with power in his hands and kicks. Sharp pot shots from the outside. Particularly fast left cross and left body kick. Um, he has a very high output, landing eight strikes per minute, which is super impressive for a guy that size, with an accuracy over 50%, which is like unbelievable, honestly, especially for a striker. He's good at uh, keeping this fight at range, which means he does not tend to pressure. He can be taken down, but gets up fairly quickly. And he trains out of Mercy Lago MMA along with guys like Chaos Williams. Uh, these are two physically very similar guys, right? Both athletic, powerful, tall men. Hill will be faster and throws at a much higher output. St. Peru has 39 fights to Hill's eight, so there's like a lot of concern here. St. Peru should also have the submission grappling advantage. This fight will probably be decided on whether St. Peru can get takedowns and solidify top position. If he does, he can very well finish with the submission. If not, Hill will outwork, outland, and probably hurt St. Peru. Plus, St. Peru's three and four in his last seven fights. Those wins are over prospects who turned out to have serious holes. So this fight largely depends on whether Hill has glaring holes in his ground game. But since he gets up with urgency from being taken down at medging towards Hill in the hope that he might just be something special because he seems like he might be. Ah, so you're picking Hill. I'm picking OSP here, but you could be. You could certainly be right. Um, let, me, let me just make a note of that. I didn't expect that. Stan picks... Hill. All right, here's another pick you're probably going to disagree with. I'm going to go with Justin James uh, to knock out Gabriel Benitez early. Mm. He just has those great leg kicks. He's, um, you know, he's a, he's a good fighter, but Justin James uh, has really, really fierce power. And I feel like in the first two rounds, um, he's going to be tough. And I think he's, I think he's going to land. And I don't feel great about Benitez's chin. Um, so listen, if it goes to distance, I think this is a fight that um, Gabriel Benitez is um, is likely to win. But I think I, I just I suspect that uh, James uh, is going to use that power uh, and he's going to land and sleep him. That is a prediction. I like it. Uh, Nick, to your point, James did get uh, knockdowns in his first two UFC fights in the first round. That's when he's ultra dangerous. I think he got five first round knockout wins in a row prior to his loss to Gavin Tucker. The thing is, his gas tank sucks. And I know he has the wrestling background, but his striking is not like he doesn't have layers to it. He just has serious power if he's aggressive. So for that reason, I'm going to pick Benitez to kind of survive that early storm. He's a crafty veteran. He's got a lot of experience. I think that his conditioning and his kicks are going to be a big factor here. And so, again, like he's got to get through five minutes in order to implement his plan and win this fight. But I think he's got enough uh, to do that, even though I, I know he's been knocked out recently. Seven and a half minutes, but yes. Uh, yeah, may, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe you're right. Um, uh, I just feel like Benitez is, is a crafty guy and Justin James, man, th it's not likely that he fixed the holes that we saw in his last fight so quickly, but Justin James fought a really, really, really skilled fighter in his last bout. So to your point, this may very well uh, go your way. My next pick is in the Jimmy Flick and Cody Durden matchup. Both these guys are actual, uh, like respected wrestlers. Flick is a scrambling and transition master on the mat. He has the wrestling background and has done a great job of adding submissions into his MMA game. He's stiff on the feet and has got a long way to go with the striking. Durden is a solid wrestler who trains with the Lima brothers in Georgia. He made a short-notice UFC debut against top 15 bantamweight Chris Gutierrez. 
dominated the first round before losing the last two. And then the fight ended in a draw. I like Durden on a full training camp here. He's been working with the UFCPI to cut down a flyweight. I wonder how his speed will compare to with the rest of the division. He actually uh, spent this camp specifically with American Top Team headquarters. Um, but I'm picking the slick submission game of Flick to come through here. Neither guy's a great striker, even though Durden should have the edge there. Durden's only losses are in the two fights where he fought below 135 pounds, and one of those losses was by submission. Flick only loses to nasty strikers that could keep it on the feet, and Durden is not a high-level striker, even though he's got some skills there. I've got a Flick here to stick to Durden and not let go uh, and potentially score a submission, man. The Flick is super, super dangerous with his grappling. Same, same pick. I've got, uh, and I'll make this one real brief, I've got uh, Jose Alberto Quinones over Luis Smolka, uh, or Luis Smolka, whatever he's going by these days, and uh, for all the same reasons as I described like three shows ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I favor Smolka. Again, like I realized this one is another one that's going to be decided on the scale for me. If Smolka comes in in shape, then I favor Smolka because of his pressure game, and Quinones just kind of like sprints away and runs backwards against pressure fighters. But Quinones is way faster and might possibly be the better wrestler here. So if Luis Smoka uh, comes in looking drained or comes in overweight, then I'm absolutely changing my pick. But I do disagree with this one, at least initially. My next pick is going to be in the main event, Nikolai. Yes. Um, in the fight between Marvin Vittori and Jack Hermanson. Vittori is obviously a southpaw pressure boxer. Takedowns and solid ground and pound on this guy. He's got good conditioning, but has never fought five rounds. And he doesn't have a lot of power. He has zero knockdowns in his UFC career, even though he lands hard shots and is kind of known for his stand-up. A phenomenal chin, though. I've never really seen him buzzed. He trains under uh, King's MMA under Rafael Cordero with the likes of Kelvin Gastelum, Benil Dariush, and Jika Jagadze, which is a great camp for southpaw strikers. And each of the guys I just mentioned are all southpaws. Um, so Hermanson, Gastelum in that camp got, you know, got yes, really friggin' wrecked by Hermanson. Yes, exactly. So I wonder how that's going to play into it. Um, Hermanson's got phenomenal cardio, excellent, excellent on the ground, right? Whether he's on his back, whether he's on top, whether he's in tr- transitions, he can catch submissions from on top. He's absolutely horrifying with his ground and pound. His wins are over Gastelum, Jacare, Dave Branch, Gerald Mirchart, Tully's ladies, and he finished almost all of those guys. But he losses are to Cesar Ferreira, Thiago Santos, and Jared Cannonier, guys with a significant strength or power edge. And he was finished by all three of those guys. Um, Vittori was training for a three-rounder, and then he took this fight kind of a week ahead of schedule as he replaced Kevin Holland. Vittori's main training partners, Gastelum, who are Hermanson, just beat by first-round submission. He seems like a mentally strong guy, so presumably that should have kind of put him in a good position here in this short-notice situation. Hermanson's an opportunistic finisher and could seal this with one takedown. It's very possible, and he's got five rounds to do it. But Vittori hasn't been taken down since his second UFC fight four years ago. Hermanson struggles against powerful strikers, strikers since he doesn't have a great chin and not a whole lot of heart. Like, once he gets hurt, it's basically over. But Vittori doesn't have much power in his hands, even though he looks like he should. I'm going with Vittori here since I think he's He's going to push forward. His offensive boxing uh, will be tough for Hermanson to deal with, but if Hermanson can take his back from the clinch or get a wizard takedown, he might just seal this fight with kind of a transition submission. If Vittori's tired in the fourth or fifth rounds, Hermanson has everything that like to finish it there, right? If he hasn't been hurt too badly leading up to that. So it's very possible that Hermanson catches a submission, but Vittori is the pick here by a relatively close margin. I'm picking Hermanson. I think he'll get the great position over the five rounds. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a compelling, it's an interesting fight. I mean, this is this is the Facebook prelims card. Like, this is not 
you know, it's not a main event that anyone's going to be thrilled about. But uh, Vittori is a sleeper at middleweight. He had that very he had the split decision against the champion, which no one else has really had. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he surprised us a couple of times. But so has Hermanson. So we'll we'll see. We've uh, we've seen more of Hermanson's weaknesses in the UFC than we have of Vittori's. But uh, it'll be an example of what happens when the irresistible force meets the immovable object. And I'm very curious yeah. to see. Um, last pick. I'm going to go with the Georgian, Roman uh, Dolidza, if that's how you say it, against the, the, uh, the Brazilian with a non-Brazilian name, John Allen, uh, who had a, a pretty cool victory over Mike Rodriguez that got overturned because of uh, Peds, I think. Uh, but I thought the Georgian looked so great uh, in his last fight against uh, Cadiz uh, Ibrahimov. That I just feel like uh, you know he's got he's got the momentum. He's not coming off of a drug suspension, um, or you know, or no contest. So it's been a while since we've seen John Allen, um, who also you know got beat on the Contender Series. So I just I think that the upside for uh, for Roman is much higher. And frankly, I thought this was a pick that would be made much earlier in our show. To be honest, I could see an upset happening in this one, even though I, I do agree on the pick. Uh, look, I think a lot. this is another fight that will be, for me at least, decided in the weigh-ins. If Jan Allen looks kind of soft in the midsection, if he's off the juice, and he has been for over a year now, then I expect that Roman Dulles should be able to catch him with a, with a bomb. Um, John Allen doesn't have the greatest conditioning outside of that time that he got uh, caught with with the juice. So I do agree with the pick, but if in the way in John Allen looks in sick shape, I expect that he's probably going to win and then pop for steroids again. So uh, largely on the same page here, Nick, we do have a few disagreements. I'm glad that we have some disagreements with this. With I mean, if this gets us to six, if this gets me to sixteen and fifteen, and I really don't know if it will, um, and none of these are tiebreakers, right? Or is one a tiebreaker? Yeah, the Roman Dulles pick that you just made is a tiebreaker. So if he wins, then uh, and we're tied otherwise, then you win the event. Okay. Well, we'll see, man. I'm really interested. If it's sixteen and fifteen, it's going to be make for a really, really interesting show. And isn't the next yeah, card well, pay per view, or is that one away still? Yeah, I believe it's UFC 256. Holy cow. That's like the one that's going to get us to a tie. Uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal car too, Nick. That's so much to look forward to on that one. Looking forward to it, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping, Nick, I'm hoping that you can get this win so we're oh, literally just one Fuck pick apart, and then it will make it all the more interesting. I, I look forward to seeing how this season plays out. Another good one in the books, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'm going to take a break and come back and give these guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Look for my gloating texts on Saturday night. Oh, man, I'm going to literally put my phone on moon if you end up winning. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. <I'm laughs> Have a great night, buddy. Uh, you too. And I'm back to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week was not a winning week for us. But we still have profits in 12 of the last 16 events, and we're still up over 300% with $907 in total after starting off at $300 a few months ago. Let's get into my betting suggestions for this weekend's card. First, I recommend a bet on Jamal Hill and Ilya Taporia in a parlay, $60 to win $75 on those two. I've got a bit of a hedge on Ovin St. Peru by submission. There's always a shot. He Tends to get those young prospects that aren't quite ready for the big time by submission. $19 to win 60 so 
Very simple. If OSP wins by submission, then I will even out. If Hill and Taporia can both come through, then I will have a profit of $56 between those two bets. Next, I recommend a parlay on Santos to win by decision over De La Rosa and Taporia to just win straight out. The combined odds give you something like two to one in our favor. So $26 to win $50 on Santos by decision and Taporia in a straight bet. I'm going to hedge that parlay with De La Rosa by decision, $13 to win $49. I think that Santos De La Rosa fight is likely to hit the scorecards. And then I have a couple of throwaway bets, a total of $32 between the three following bets. First, Justin Janes in round one by TKO. The guy won his last five fights in the first round, and it was because of his serious power in his hands. That's when he really strives. And even in the fight that he lost against Gavin Tucker in his last UFC bout, he hurt Gavin Tucker in that first round. So, Janes in round one by TKO, $10 to win 80. We're talking about plus 800 odds. Justin Janes generally wins in the knockout in the first round, and he's facing somebody that's been knocked out in the recent past in Benitez. So, I just feel like this is certainly worth throwing some money out there. Also, Movsar Efloev, I know he's not known as a striker, but we saw how sharp and solid his striking is in his last bout. And he is fighting Landwehr, who is extremely hittable. So, Evloev by TKO plus 405 outs. He's a huge favorite if you just bet him straight. I think he's something like minus 605. But by TKO, Evloev plus 405, $12 to win 49 bucks. Again, worst case, if he wins a decision or somehow catches a rear naked choke late in the fight, I've lost 12 bucks. I'm not going to complain too much. I don't like Nate Landwehr's chances of winning this fight. He is super hittable, and uh, Morfsar has showed that he can put some things together. Plus, Nate lost to a grappler in his UFC debut by TKO. And then finally, a kind of throwaway parlay on John Allen and Jack Hermanson. John Allen, if he walks in here in shape, if he is on the juice and does a better job of hiding it, I think he has a good shot of beating Dolids, who is just not that skilled of an overall fighter and has been fighting very high level of competition. And then Hermanson, I think, has a pretty good shot over a five-round period to catch Vittori because Vittori doesn't really have the kind of power that Hermanson usually succumbs to, and I don't like his chances there. Hermanson is busy on the feet from the outside, constant leg kicks. He's going to consistently go for those takedowns, and I wonder if that might tire Vittori out, who Vittori doesn't tend to get gassed late in a fight, but he's never been five rounds, and he didn't prepare for a five-round fight here. So I think Hermanson stands enough of a chance to kind of throw out this throwaway bet. $10 to win 53 on John Allen and Jack Hermanson. And as we usually do, I'm going to give you a quick preview of what's to come the following weekend. We got that big card. It's super, super stacked. I mean, the main event doesn't involve any major names, but it's a phenomenal fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo. UFC 256 coming up the weekend after this one. Main event, Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Phenomenal bout. Looking forward to this. I think Davidson Figueredo should be a favorite. I haven't really looked at the odds, but I'm excited to see what Moreno can do in a matchup like this, given all of his recent improvements. And we've got Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira, fascinating possible passing of the guard matchup. Or maybe we're going to see Charles Oliveira, the one that kind of loses heart and gives up in this bout against a guy like Ferguson is entirely possible. JDS versus Cyril Gaon. Excited to see Cyril Gaon step up to the big leagues. This will be a very interesting matchup for him. JDS usually loses by knockout, and Surigon doesn't really have a whole lot of knockouts, man. I'm not sure he has all that much power, even though he's very skilled on the feet. So that should be an interesting matchup. Hanato Maikano versus Rafael Faziev. This one should be exciting, especially if it could stay on the feet. Maikano has a shot at just grounding him and getting a submission here, but Faziev is explosive, hard to take down, really hard hitter. Uh, he could very well knock.
knock him out. This is very much a striker versus grappler matchup in my book. Kevin Holland versus Jacare Souza. Kevin Holland's first kind of big step up in competition at middleweight, and he's fighting a guy who's old, who hasn't been looking very good lately, even though he is considered elite throughout his career. Mackenzie Dern, Werner, John DeRoba, the grappling situation in this fight should be fascinating. I cannot wait for it. Tisha Torres and Angela Hill love the matchup. They fought years ago when Angela Hill barely knew what she was doing in MMA. Now she's an experienced high-level fighter, and Tisha Torres hasn't exactly looked phenomenal of late. Going into this bout, one and four in her last five bouts. Billy Quarantillo and Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker, actually, uh, Justin James, who Gavin Tucker beat in his last fight, is coming up this weekend. He's competing, and he's fighting Billy Quarantillo. Fascinating matchup. Looking forward to it. Billy Quarantillo has a lot of heart. But Gavin Tucker has slipped on a banana peel late in the fight before. Uh, he will look, I think, dominant early regardless because that's just how Billy Quarantillo fights go. So that should be interesting. Carl Robertson versus Dolce. Luke Mambula, I may have mispronounced that, nothing new there. That should be interesting. I mean, uh, likely, you know, knockout one way or the other. Andrea Lee and Jillian Robertson is listed as the first bout on the card. It shows you the quality of this one because both of these girls are skilled, solid 125 pounders. And then Cub Swanson, Daniel Pineda, looking forward to that one as well. Cub Swanson kind of on the downstring of his career and Daniel Pineda, who came in and got a huge upset in his short notice UFC debut. Very much looking forward to this one. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for the support. I got to get this win over Nick. I got to solidify the win for the season. He is creeping up. We are only two points apart now. And at one point, I think I was 10 or 12 up. So he's really caught up. Got to hold my ground. Looking forward to next week. Thank you all for the support. And thank you for the listen. <laughs>